With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as this team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off-limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 113 of Two Goalies, One Mike. We are joined by a very special guest making his Return to do goalies one, Mike, uh, official friend of the program, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, John Butchergrass. John, thanks for joining me and Dwayne, as always. Good to be here. Love talking hockey. Thanks. Thanks, man. And appreciate it. Before we get started, I want to, obviously, myself and Cully want to offer our condolences a little over a month ago. Uh, your father, Edward Butchergrass, you know, passed away. And, uh, you know, you, you put up a really nice post about him. It really spoke volumes about his character. So we just want to offer our condolences and, uh, you know, I hope you're doing much better. Uh, never easy to leave, lose a parent. I know myself. Yeah, for sure. It was my first experience with it. I'm lucky that it took this long, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, a uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty earth shattering experience to go through for those I imagine who have lost a parent and, uh, mm-hmm. hasn't really been much easier. It almost gets kind of worse in a way because, uh, I don't know, you, you just start thinking about the memories. And like I said, I love hockey because of my dad. That's, that's he introduced me to the game. He grew up in Boston and great memories of listening to games on the radio. You know, I was a real little kid. We didn't have cable TV, so there wasn't hockey on every night like uh, people can experience today. It was once a week. It was once in a while. So you really kind of had to really scrap and claw to get any type of uh, content, whether it was watching a game on TV, listening on the radio, buying a, a hockey book and just consuming it over and over again. So yeah, he's uh that's the guy that, you know, brought me into the sport and I'm, 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 I'm thankful for that among obviously a lot of other things. Well, yeah. and we're, we're grateful that he did because um, <laughs> you know, my generation and the generation coming up has been graced um, with, with, with your air on the microphone to hear you call college hockey and, and to hear, you know, ESPN jump back into ESPN. And, and I get excited every night getting to, you know, hear you talk about it. Um, so, so I know your dad would be very proud mm-hmm. uh, of all you've accomplished. And, and um, you know, just, just talking about that, you know, I think we all get to the age where, you know, we start to see the, 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 the mortality of not only our parents, but, you know, just of ourselves too, as big as a father and all myself. Right. Um, so, um, again, our condolences to you and, and the whole Butcher Gross family. Um, Thank you. And, and your time. So, uh, I mean, the, 
the the one thing that gets thrown around a lot is is hockey is that we're one big family, but I really feel like it shines through in moments like this. But, and I'm sure we all have many stories that we can, you know, all I know myself I do, and, and it's just comforting to have that that structure, whether it be your, your your coworkers at ESPN, whether it be the many coaches and players and that you've become friends with over the years, um, and and I'm sure that 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 big hockey world that we call it big, but we all know it's a very small hockey world. Right. So I know you're that- right. And, and uh, ES, ESPN has been so good to me. And I mean, like, you're right. Like I got a DM from Marty St. Louis. Like, why does he right. have to take the time to DM me on Twitter? Right. Um, so like to, to get those kind of little Easter egg things from people in the yeah. family. And I tell people like, you know, every little text, every little direct message, every little tweet they all help they're all appreciated they're much appreciated and they all really do help like you said it just shows the love that's out there in the hockey world and the support and uh, and that means a lot you know you take that to the rest of your life to taste um it's a great memory so whenever i think of you know mark saying the rest of my days i'll think about that dm for his offer of condolences for my dad. Like that's, you know, that, that's just the way it is. And that's why you do that. That's why you, you, you send those gestures out. Mm-hmm. So people have warm thoughts um, of you and uh, really of that help, you know, the situation that you're going through. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great, I've always said just the whole hockey world, you know, from my kids, youth hockey, and then on to high school. And then obviously you mentioned college hockey and doing the NHL. I'm a hockey fan from the backyard rink to the NHL. Some people are just NHL fans or just this type of fan, like, you know, I'm a hockey fan. So it's every, whether it's beer league or youth or backyard rinks, NHL, whatever, I'm a, I'm a fan uh-huh. of the whole thing. Hey, John, 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 do you mind? I, I wanted to ask your permission before I did it. You, you showed a, re, you shared a really cool picture of him. Do you mind if I share it on the screen? Oh, of course. Yeah. Look at this picture, Johnny. What? That's his father. Yeah. My, my dad was a goalie at Boston Latin. Um, I think it's the oldest, it might be the oldest high school like America. I think, I think and uh, it goes way back. And and he was a goalie on the high school team, no mask. That's practice at a gymnasium, you know. And uh, the team would get out shot like, you know, 60 to 12. And my dad's in there uh, just taking these, getting pelted with pucks. And, uh, you know, just an athlete, tough guy, played semi pro football throughout his 20s in Boston. That was before the Patriots got there. So they were kind of semi-pro football was kind of a big deal in these different American cities without the NFL yet, or really big time college yet in the, in the fifties. So uh, yeah, that's him. That's big Ed with uh, playing goalie without a, without a mask. Oh my God. Just <laughs> the fact that you have that, like not many people have like a pic, you know, you know, pictures dating back that far. Sometimes you know, they kind of get lost in the mix and stuff. Like yeah. That. That's, that's probably 1949. Pictures. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's we're why. talking that's that's so 70 cool. years ago, over 70 years ago. Well, again, we offer our condolences, you know, John, and I appreciate you taking the time to shed some light on the type of person your father was. And, you know, me being somebody whose father really introduced me to hockey, you know, obviously my mainly the Buffalo Sabres is where it all started. Uh, my earliest memories were going back when they first moved into the Marine Midland Arena back, you know, in 96, 97, and then getting to experience uh, the Stanley Cup finals with them in 99, uh, you know, those memories mean a lot to me. Getting to see Jeff Sanderson score uh, with one arm around Eddie Belfort, I think it was maybe uh, game four, uh, game game three or four. I, I can't remember which, but you know, sitting right behind Belfort when that happened, that was so cool. And I wouldn't have had that moment without my dad. So, you know, you know, it's you know, our hockey, like he just said, our parents are integral into our 
you know, integral for us when it comes to introducing us to, to this game. Right. And uh, it's so cool to see that, you know, you had that type of relationship with your father and that you have, you know, you know, I'm just thankful you shared the type of person he was. Cause I think if there are more people like him in the world of hockey, you're not just, not just the hockey world of hockey, just the world, the world be a right. much better place. Well, he definitely shaped me how I raised my boys and uh, my two boys and my daughter. And uh, so, yeah, I could, and I was adopted too. So, I mean, I, I could have got any parents, you know, I, yeah. who knows what could have happened. I, I was adopted at about six months, five to six months old. And uh, I got the two best I could have possibly, you know, gotten, like I say, could have gone either way, but, you know, thankfully how it worked out for me, it worked out great. 100%. And, 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 and it goes back to that, you know, uh, hockey such a small world. One of the things, John, that I've loved about um, social media and the way that even before the ESPN deal came back with NHL is your coverage of college hockey and not just the big boys, right? But uh, the video you posted the other night, the other night of I think it was UNC, Dwayne, yeah, North Carolina. Yep. Oh, yeah, that goal. Yeah, just the coverage in that general. That was awesome. Hacha hockey is is some good hockey too, oh, and honestly. I think it swept under the the wayside some side. But we got to realize that with COVID and with the extra year, there's some really good hockey players that have slipped through the cracks and are either playing high level D three or, or you know high level Acha. But in, in that that clip with UNC and that that game winning goal, I think it was was something of beauty. And how about those sweaters, Butchie? They're beautiful. Yeah, I mean, there's only you know 60 plus D one schools. There's no Division two hockey, and Division three. There's not many more. Um, so yeah, there's, there's way more people who play hockey than there are schools and teams available, you know? And so you're right. There's a really high level brand. You would with that. And I've always loved selling, you know, I've always, you know, hockey is college. And, uh, these guys have school guys and they have great uniforms and, and our quality of video is outstanding. I mean, you know, it's just an outstanding quality of video that I've seen all sports, including college hockey. Hockey was really, was holding college hockey back with, you know, available on TV, the quality broadcast, even when it's on TV, wasn't very good. Now you're seeing the schools actually, this Omaha has a great student, uh, you know, media photographer department at their school. They, they produce great game recaps using the play-by-play call on the radio and these multiple camera, super high Dad also they're doing a great job throughout the nation of uh you know getting that content out there like the Carolina club just beautifully shot great quality all that matters and, and that growth um you know just piggybacking off of 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 you know what you said about how far you know the 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 videographies come and and even at even at you know club level I was a part of the student you know, uh, sorry, part of the coaching section uh, at, at Fredonia, SUNY Fredonia, Division Three team. Um, and I also kind of got to cross over with my journalism major. So I got to cover the team as well as be the goalie coach. A little bit of conflict of interest there in the school paper <laughs> with my write-ups. But something I remember very fondly and 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 have seeing and playing around with, with some of the new technology over the past uh, eight or so years since I graduated, uh, it's really cool to see – you know, even even club hockey teams in across the country putting out content like this because I think it's so important. And, and I had a talk with a, a prep school coach um, who remain nameless, um, but one of the things he said to me struck a chord. And it's with this generation, 
you have to know how to connect with your recruits. And if you don't constantly become better at that, um, then I don't think you'll have success. And you'll see the Bobcat sweater behind me, according to your most recent poll or the most recent college poll, you got Quinnipiac up at the top. Um, I think that's one thing that Rand Pecknold always stuck out to me whenever I got a chance to talk to him in my light recruitment there, or whether it was when my brother's time there, um, how do him and, and other coaches in the game of in, in old college hockey stay relevant? And, and, and like I said, almost have like that, the pulse on the, on the, on the kids on the generation and being able to kind of rope them in, 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 in the recruiting process and how it's changed over the years. Yeah, you really can't coast anymore and you really got to grind every day. A lot of times, you know, when I was growing up, the institutions had such a, huge aura about them you know the kids would flock to the institution now you know they're just not impressed really by any of those things anymore so you really like you said have to connect on a human level and show that energy show your edge show you're going to coach them hard and uh yeah the world the world changed pretty fast along those lines the last 10 15 years and so yeah what Rand has done is unbelievable at quinnipiac from a club team to a you know working out of a closet to just a small school and now to be really a premier program you know he's been to what a, a couple frozen fours and uh you know had a couple finals two, yeah two national title games lost in pittsburgh lost in tampa of course the frozen fours back in tampa there so i'm sure he would love to go back there again every year but especially to go back there and maybe to win one there where he lost one to north dakota that'd be pretty cool so certainly they're right in the hunt and Johnny obviously holds uh, Quinnipiac a little bit closer to the higher because I believe that's where your brother played, right? I wouldn't say played. I think he was the he was there. It doesn't matter. As the third goalie, he won the sweater. He like man of the year, but yeah, the nice. um, no. But Rand and and, and um, um, Benny Sire, I think, is with Cornell now. They're, they're just a great group of coaching staff. Whenever our family came up, they took really good care of us. Uh, but keeping it in the college hockey landscape quickly, um, you know, Minnesota. Um, I think they split their season series, uh, season series just recently. I forget mm -hmm. who that was with. Um, maybe it would have been with Denver, but rounding out the top five, you have Quinnipiac, Minnesota, Denver, St. Cloud State. That's who it was. The Minnesota St. Cloud State series. And I've been inside of Herb Brooks Arena for the USA festivals. Just to see that place packed against that, that shutout win against Minnesota. I'm not sure if you were there, but just to, to feel the vibes that shook throughout college hockey. I love when Minnesota teams get in the mix um, to, yeah. see, to see St. Cloud, you know, jump into that top five spot or in, into the four spot. Um, what, how are things looking thus far through the college season? Any surprises for you inside the top 10, 15? Um, any cool storylines that have jumped out at you? Certainly Merrimack would be the biggest surprise, you know, that this, the school and the hockey East, which obviously, you know, usually is, is at the bottom of the conference right now they're in the mix they're in the pairwise mix to, to make the tournament. If they can keep getting, you know, occasionally like they split with Providence, that's a, for them. That, that that's a big weekend for them. Just as long as they can stay the course, they've built enough equity where that would be a big Cinderella story for sure. Um, yeah, certainly. You know, Bob Motzko says he wants to play those Minnesota schools as much as he can. Coming from St. Cloud, going to Minnesota, getting them that that moment is a big deal. You know, the Gophers are still, even though they haven't won a national title in a while, they're still kind of you know the 
the king of the hill there in Minnesota. Well, it doesn't hurt him. to get Logan Cooley, right? Does it yeah, right. <laughs> Love him. I think he'll be in the league next year. He's got a, a kind of a Sidney Crosby flair to him, the way he goes around the ice, the way he moves. Uh, he's a really fun player to watch. So, yeah, the, I think the I think it's wide open this year. It, it's really hard to say. I don't think there's really a you know the, a really a great team that people are pointing towards. There's always those young, talented teams with first round picks, and then the, those older teams which started happening really when I started covering the, you know the play by play aspect of the Frozen Four. Yale won it, Union won it. People started realizing these teams that had 23, 24 year olds were beating these you know Minnesota's teams with 18, a lot of 18, 19 year olds. You know it's hard to beat men who are really you know they're all in on the on the college. Uh, atmosphere because that's really the final step for them they they still think maybe they can play in the league but they're all in where a lot of times a first round pick will have one foot out the door thinking about that paycheck thinking about the nhl thinking about those hotels and flying charter so it, it's it's a tough mix i think now you see some of these big time schools realize they got to have a combination of the both have a, a good core of older players 22, 23, 24 year olds, and then maybe a couple of those first round pick 18, 19 year olds. It's funny, the two teams you mentioned, we have personal connections with. Matt Krug was on the union team. He's a good friend of mine. He's a Buffalo boy. Uh, and Anthony Day, uh, where me and Dwayne are both family yep. friends with them. I grew up playing with Anthony. He was a senior, I, I think, on that Yale team. Kind of going. Uh, no, I think he was a sophomore. Yeah, sophomore. Because he, he played one more year, but he had that bad um, knee injury. But just the way that uh, some of those teams were able to come together without some of the big flashy names, like you said, I think is really cool uh, to have a personal connection to two guys that were on those winning teams. Yeah, I know they cherish that forever. Um, one of my, I don't want to say one of my biggest regrets, but, you know, going the major junior route, I didn't get to experience college hockey in that sense. And it's so cool, the coverage that you give it and what it's become now. I can't wait for Tampa. Um, and like you said, I think it's an interesting point. A team like Western Michigan doesn't get the respect it deserves because they've put together back-to-back -to -back great seasons. Um, I was there. I got to play them in the preseason when Andy Murray used to coach there. Yeah. And for Western Michigan, for Western Ontario, sorry. And we went into their building, beat them in overtime. And the respect on that man, he came down to our locker. He said, that's the best thing for my team to get them ready for, for season play, because obviously it was a preseason game between right. a Canadian university. But just one of my only memories of Andy Murray, just a hockey legend in the coaching circles. Really cool hockey college story I had to share with you. Um, That's but, good. Real, yeah, so moving on to the NHL. Johnny, real quick, you brought Logan Cooley. Uh, Bucci had an all-time chirp recently in regards to, uh, to Logan Cooley here. I thought it was phenomenal. Uh, they shared the uh, Notre Dame pads, uh, you know, the, the custom-made pads, and he goes, Jesus saves, and Louis Logan Cooley scores on the rebound. All-time all great chirp. I love it. A little far pad. Yeah, they brought, that, they brought that back this weekend when he scored last weekend. So. <laughs> Absolutely. No, hey, those, are, good one. those are immaculate pads, but those are just asking cool. for a far pad net drive right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the pillow game has come a long way for hockey. They have some really sweet, sweet pillows. Mm -hmm. Yes, they do. Oh, that thanks oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, real quick before we transition out of hockey, uh, how surprised are you to see kind of like, I want to say the fall off of Michigan, but you know, you have nine here on your list. You say, I mean, obviously they lost a lot of talent. They had, you know, four of their five first round draft picks that, that played with them last season are now in the NHL, uh, you know, with Luke Hughes leading the way. Um, Eric, some would say Eric Portillo is having, you know, 
a little bit of a less less uh, compared to last year, uh, not as good of a season. Um, also, the rumors kind of float around uh, the the hockey circles that he might test free agency instead of signing with Buffalo at the end of the season. Any surprise there, especially with the coaching change after the kind of the COVID scandal with Mel Pearson, or are you uh, are, are you not surprised at all that they fell down? To yeah. The yeah, you, you just never know when you get a new, again, a new batch of 18, 19-year-olds. Obviously, Adam Fantilli will probably be the second pick of the draft next summer. Phenomenal. Um, you know, you just don't know what that mix is going to be like and how they mix with the older guys. And you're right, the goaltending. Um, so, you, you, yeah, it, it's just, you know, BU's been going through that. Boston University's been going through that for a while. Now they look like they kind of have some traction. Jay Pandolfo, year one. They have some older guys on the team. Um, don't really have that top 10 pick on the team, you know, uh, some late first rounders, second rounders. But a lot of the guys, you know, they actually have some seniors on their team, which is kind of rare for PU. Usually they're gone by then. Mm -hmm. So or or they transfer or whatever. So, yeah, you just you don't know that mix is tough every year. That's why when I talk about you got to have that core of older players and bring them along. And then you try to plug in those young superstars that can take you to It'll take you to another level and maybe lead you to a national championship. Um, certainly, you know, Kale McCarr almost did at UMass and, you know, Brock Besser back in the day at North Dakota helped them win a national championship. So mm -hmm. it, it can go either way. So, but there's still time, you know, they have the rest of this month, they have February. So if Michigan can get some traction, find some, you know, you get those, how each line, what their job is, and you start getting some uh, consistency. But, yeah, goaltending in the end, like at you know, every level of every of, uh, of hockey, whether it be youth or NHL, you got to have good goaltending. And, and uh, yeah, I could see Portillo. Obviously, him and Levi aren't going to both stay in Buffalo. It's kind of like the kind of like the quarterback situation in college football. If you're, you know, they, they recruit three or four or five stars – and eventually they know one or two are going to transfer. It's, you know, Joe Burrow did it. He left the he left Ohio State because, you know, they went a certain way. And then those guys move on. And you'll start seeing that with these organizations like the Sabres who are lucky to have two prospects. You know, they both won't stay. You know, one's going to go whether they trade one or whether one goes to free agency. I thought that maybe both could stay if Lukanen continued his dive. But I think Lukanen's been playing some really good hockey. Oh, yeah. He's been you just, you just need the consistency. Performer. You just want the consistency. And he, over yeah. the last couple of weeks, he's shown that. Uh, obviously, you know, the hip issues with his from his past, dating back to junior hockey, you know, hopefully those don't pop, you know, flare up and, you know, affect. Right, dating effect. back to his OHL goalie of the year days yes, of junior hockey. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Your thoughts on Levi, too. He's been on, he's been on the show with us along with Portillo. Um, <clears throat> you know, he seems like a really well-rounded kid. He's uh it was very adamant and i I'll, I'll say this on the program too if you want to talk about hockey moms and this isn't shot against anybody on the program you want to talk about hockey moms i haven't met a more uh committed hockey mom than devin levi's mother um i remember when great you know, story i'll probably share on my own sooner uh, rather than later but uh how he fell in love with the city of buffalo like back when he was 12 years old when he won the naps uh showcase here in buffalo as an underdog um good old north center Huh? Pepsi Center. Yep, back on the Pepsi Center now, Northtown Center. But she, she, when I when I had him on, she started DMing me and she's just sharing all these stories of how excited he was to get traded to Buffalo. That you know he couldn't have been more happy that with the opportunity because he won his first major championship here in Buffalo back when he was 12 years old uh, when they beat the East Coast Selects as an underdog. Cool. And uh, it was a pretty cool story to hear because not many people knew about that. So yeah, just your thoughts on Devin and the type of goalie he's turned out to be and you know, being nominated for the Mike Richter award, uh, you know, in back to back years, just, you know, rightfully so. And uh, on, a, on a Northeastern team that maybe has a little bit less talent than before, 
but uh, you know, obviously not your top 16, but you know, hopefully, you know, you know, come the bean pot after the bean pot, they hope to still be in the race. Yeah. Um, obviously a big win against UConn. You know, that, that was good for them. They got to start stringing those together. Um, they have opportunities to do that, but yeah, I met him at the regional last year. I had the, you know, I had Minnesota, Western Michigan, uh, Northeastern uh, UMass at last year's NCAA tournament regional. And uh, so to meet Devin into a, uh, you know, just a great kid, just a real unflappable, cool kid, uh, incredibly athletic, amazing instincts. Um, he just really has a feel for the game. And, um, you know, so I'm looking forward to seeing him at the next level. I'm glad he went back, but I think now it's time to turn pro and, uh, mm-hmm. and start playing with professionals and to really push himself to that next level. But again, I'm glad he's staying to you know, experience another bean pot coming up and uh, hopefully, you know, the Hockey East playoffs and maybe make the tournament again, get his name out there. But I'm sure he'll turn pro this spring. And, um, you know, and he'll be part of the Sabre organization. He might even get a start, you know, with the yeah. Sabres if they're if they're out of it by then or if they're still in it. But, uh, but yeah, that's the thing about the Sabres. Like, they're ready to win now. Like, now it's I time agree. to go. It's time to make trades to get better. It's time to identify a goaltender. They can't afford to develop a goalie at the NHL level now. They're too good. Like, okay. I mean, they got one of the best defensemen in the league. They got, a you know, a power forward situation. Nobody can match with uh, Thompson and Tuck. When they're on the ice together, it just it's it's unbelievable the space that they can uh, produce and, and defensively the, the wingspan of their stick and what they can disrupt. So and you see them killing penalties together. It's really interesting to watch. So it's the time is now for the Sabers. So I think you know it's time for Kevin Adams, I believe, and and the front office to start making these deals to win next year. Like everyone's yeah. at an age now, they're ready to go. And so now, now comes the hard part. Like what is that? Those one or two trades, like what do we do to get better, make that jump to the top eight? Because I, like, if I'm like, I was thinking about this the other day, like if you offer Steve Eisman, would you trade your entire organization for the Sabre organization straight up? Like, I think he would, like, I think Buffalo is ahead of Detroit and no one thought that certainly a year ago. And then this off season, how much would you uh, credit? uh, You know, I know, obviously with you being so in touch with college hockey, but Don Granado for that. Uh, we had Dave Starman on uh, a week ago and he's uh, good, good friends with, uh, with Donnie. And I remember he, when, when Donnie first like, got the intern position, he mentioned to me in a DM, he said, uh, Don Granado is one of the best hockey minds I know. And I know a lot of them. Um, how much would you credit uh, Don Granado that turning around, especially with like how the, just how, in a bad of a spot this organization was under Ralph Kruger, 18 game losing streak, uh, you know, Tage Thompson, you know, we weren't even thinking about him being the player he is. And now they were thinking, we were thinking about how to get him off our roster because mm-hmm. he was just, you know, he was, it was, didn't seem like he was ever going to touch his ceiling. You know, it, he had, he saw the skill was there, but you know, he, he played like he was the size of Nathan Gerby. That's not a shot against Nathan Gerby, but it, it didn't really seem like he knew how big he was really. And he just refused to shoot the puck and, you know, and then he had Rasmus Dahlin trying to be a defensive defenseman when that's not the reason you draft him first overall to begin with. So how much would you say that, you know, that goes to Don Granado and credit to him. He was the right man at the right time. The most important hire for this uh, renaissance has been Don Granado. The way he unlocked everybody. You know, he put Tage Thompson in the middle, changed his life. Um, you know, you mentioned he let Rasmus Dahlin and the young players make mistakes. It's okay. Go be you. Be free. Play. 
Yeah, I've known I know you know I've known the Granado family going back you know t- over twenty years now. I was at Cammy's wedding. You know, obviously Ray Ferraro, my good friend. That's that's his wife, and so I've I've known and interacted with Donnie for over twenty years. You know, going back to when he was with the developmental program, and obviously when his brother got hired at Wisconsin. Then he joined them to try to bring that program back. So yeah, Donnie has always been on the developmental curve. He's he's a thinker. He's a real smart guy. Obviously, a great hockey family. His brother in the league, Cami, uh, the gold captain of the first U.S. Women's Gold Medal Olympic Championship team. So yeah, I've been around him a long time. Always a big fan. Waiting for him to get his shot. So I'm not surprised at all uh, that he's succeeding. Uh, he's just a, a great mind, and he has been the most important part of this whole Saber turnaround. Has been Don Granado. Uh, and I think you see that with players like Tage Thompson. I wanted to go back to something you said. Uh, the ways that Thompson and Tuck have been able to, you know, kind of use each other and, and play off each other in the spacing they're able to create and and just the development and um, to see Tage Thompson and his release point from, from a goalie coaching perspective, it's almost unfair in a way that the way he's able to change the shot angle so quickly and in such tight spaces. Um, I try to go back through it with my goalies and watch some, some of the NHL goals that, that are let in and, and out of proximity. I use the Sabres a lot. Um, you know, Dwayne touched on, you know, Donnie being a big part of Tage jumping in, but are we talking, you know, superstardom right now, right here, beginning of 30 goal seasons to come. And I know you don't have a magic crystal ball, but you've seen some of the best of them come up. Um, thoughts on Tage Thompson? Is, 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 is he one of the top, you know, future stars of this league? Or is he somebody that's going to fizzle out? Yeah, it, it, it is an interesting question because it's really only been a year and a half. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it takes, you know, eight to 10 years to, can you do it year after year after year? But considering his size, certainly how he shoots the puck, the one-timer, just the, just the one-timer on the power play, he's right there. And, I, and actually, I said it months ago. I felt like I was a little ahead of the curve on Tage Thompson in terms of saying like Pasternak, Stamkos, Zabinijad, obviously Ovi. Um, he's right in that class with those hundred mile an hour one timers, and then his wrist shot also. He is a you know just a he's right there you know right there with Austin Matthews in terms of his power and his hands. You know Matthews has the best hands in the sport in my mind. The way he, that roof job he had against the Bruins the other night just wow. shows. But he can also his wrist shot, his snap shot, and his slap shot all powerful. And then to make those little hands. Now what Tage has more than anybody else is six foot six inch wingspan where he can make those post to post outside the post to post moves on the goalie that other people they can't physically make they're not that tall that's a that's just something that that's just a structural mechanical advantage that he has and he has the good hands he always had the good hands i texted when i i had uconn season tickets the first year they went full d1 18 scholies and got involved with hockey east i I got a quick shout out to the opening of their new rink here eh? i heard it's beautiful yeah i I gotta go check that out i haven't seen it yet but i was you know they're down the hartford civic center and see i'll get season tickets and go watch them play and and Thompson was just a freshman. And I remember texting an NHL GM. I go, you should look at this Tage Thompson. Like, he's really good. Um, and he's got really good hands. He makes plays in tight spots, which is a good attribute for any player, but especially a tall guy. And that's when he's still playing wing. And, of course, now he would go to center for UConn eventually. And then Donnie Granado saw him play center as a young guy. And then suddenly they shoved him on the wing. And then, of course, Donnie gets hired, puts him right in the middle of the ice. And, no, you're, you're going to play center. 
because you're a big dude. You don't have to worry about the wall. You can skate more because, you know, Taves doesn't like to stop and start. He's a big guy. I'm, you know, I'm, just, right. I'm 6'4". I have long legs. So I'm the same way. I'm not a stop and start guy. I need some motion. I need to kind of get going and then I then go. And that's what, and so that's just, I mean, Donnie may, I said, I said it last year in a tweet, Don Granado made Tage Thompson a rich man. Like, you know, he changed his life, uh, changed his children's life. I mean, this, what he provided by saying you're going to play center, he totally changed his life. So um, yeah, Tage has those structural advantages of the long arms and long reach that other players just aren't going to, like you said, you mentioned Nathan Gerby or, you know, Zach Parisi or any kind of smaller player. They're not going to have that reach. Yeah. Best contract is not going to do right. Sorry, go ahead, Dan. No, I said best contract in hockey too, right? You know, he's making seven. Should be. He's probably going to score fifty goals this year. Right. So he's probably a ten million dollar player, and they got a thirty percent discount. Yeah. Yes. I hope that we, me and Dwayne, talked about this. I hope we look back on it in a, in a in hopefully sooner rather than later. But in two to three years, as we see this cap go up, could that be the 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 new Nathan McKinnon contract? Right. Like right. That, that was a huge piece in allowing them. To right. still have that cap flexibility to bring in a guy like Manson and and some of the guys they were able to keep. Um, so hopefully we're looking at deal. one of the best contracts. So um, I, my question to you, uh, just on that last that last line, it, seeing Jeff Skinner, Jeff Skinner be a part of that line and resurge himself with you know 18 goals thus far, and he got one in the and the goal and uh, the game a big goal uh, in that game against the Preds. Um, nice to see him come off the schneid. Um, what, what do you see in Dylan Cousins and, and other guys like J.J. Paterka and Jack Quinn, some of the young core that we've seen at the World Juniors over the past few years? Now they're, they're, they're everyday guys in the NHL lineup. Um, what have you seen from them in your limited views of the Sabres? Yeah, so I'm saying, like, I, when I going back to what I said about the Red Wings and would they trade their organization for the Sabres, and that's why people like Paterka and Quinn Obviously, Rasmus Dahlin, again, those we talk about the, yeah. the Thompson contract working out. You know, they have two big ones coming up in Dahlin, who's going to be a nine to ten million dollar guy. And then Dylan Cousins, you know, is, are they going to offer him one of those seven year deals this summer? You know, and what smart. is that number? What 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 are him and his agent thinking? I'm sure they would love to get him at about six and a half. But he's he might be thinking, ah, my guy, I need him. I need to make seven. Like, you know, if Dylan Cousins ends up scoring 60 points a season, 60, 70 points, that's Jonathan Taves stuff. Like, yep. like he's turned into Jonathan Taves. And um, and obviously Taves, I think, was overpaid because he didn't produce offensively. Even during his best years, he was a 50, 60 point guy and he was making 12 and a half. You know, that was just uh, and that's you know part of the reason they got the situation that they got in. Um, but Cousins contract is going to be a tough one this summer. You know, I'm, I'm sure him and his agent are going to be pretty bold. But you hope that there's a kind of a brotherhood in Buffalo. Let, let's let, let's stick this together. I'll get paid. I don't have to get every last time, but I, you know, I definitely need a good contract. But they can lock Cousins this year and then somehow get Darlene eventually to extend and stay for his eight-year, you know, $80 million contract, whatever it is. Uh, but he, he's going to be in the nines, and he should be with McAvoy yeah. and, you know, McCarr, that, where that market has been set for a top-flight defense. But he's definitely going to be in the Norris Trophy final three, I believe, Darlene. So he uh, he played that contract right. I'm sure the Sabres wish they had signed him to one of those seven-year you know, $7 million a year deals or something back then. I'm not sure who was asking for more then, but they, they got some contract decisions coming up 
Um, but yeah, they're right on the cusp with those young guys. I love Quinn's game a lot. Paterka is just one of those smooth skaters that will be it's a good you know, depth guy. You, you need good, strong third line. So Taylor Hall's a third line in Boston. That's why they're a Stanley Cup contender. So when you get those kinds of players on a third line, and uh, you know, Paterka is one of those guys I think just could be a really good pro, great skater, and, uh, and a guy who can produce very quietly for a long time. Well, that's so the thing. They're they're second they're line. Five points out of that, right. that last spot, too. So, I mean, you got teams like Washington, the Islanders, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Florida, Detroit, all right within that group. It's going to be really interesting to see, you know, who's who are buyers and who are sellers. I, I go back right. to your comment. Um, any big names pop off at you this this early? I know we still got, you know, a month going into the trade deadline. Right. But any any moves that, that you foresee that might have the Sabres in the mix on them? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I, I was I, last time I did a Sabre game in Buffalo. It's great. You know, you, you get to meet, you, you go to the morning skate and you get to meet with the coaches one on one. It's really a cool part of the uh, you know, of the gig. And Kevin Adams always joins us, which is really cool. So it's Adams and, you know, Donnie Granado in an office. And I was like, I was like, man, your face off numbers aren't that great. You know, why don't you go maybe trade for like trade for like a vet who's like a 60 percent face off guy. And and Donnie was like. No, we're going to, it's going to, you know, we're going to develop these guys and it's going to be, you know, Dylan Cousins is going to be that guy, but Dylan's number, they weren't that great at the time. And I'm like, well, this is professional hockey though. We're trying to win games here, you know, and yep. you guys are kind of in the hunt. And so yeah. it was kind of fun. Donnie was getting kind of like, uh, you know, confrontational, but in a good wow. way, because we're friends, yeah. we know each other, yeah. but it was, you could see, he got kind of pumped up about it, but I was kind of like defending myself. Like, Hey, this is pro hockey. We're here to win. Let's go. And right. Kevin's right there. The GM, Kevin's such a great guy with uh, people and he's so chill. Um, but yeah, so th th I'm just wondering, will they make a move like that? Like, will they, will, you know, they have their draft picks for the future. Their number ones won't be as you know low anymore. Thankfully they have a lot of prospects. Now it's time to go. So will they actually be bold and trade a one? I don't think they will this year, but maybe, you know, going forward to the draft or over the summer, possibly. But, you know, certainly, like, you know, like obviously Patrick Kane's the big, you know, the big name that will be moved at the deadline. And obviously returning home to Buffalo is kind of a – it might be a bit early for that, but that would be really cool at some point if Patrick ever did that. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm really intrigued if Kevin and the Sabres will just maybe try to plug a, a, like a fourth-line center, you know, someone like Ryan O'Reilly. Now, that's obviously he's been there before, which makes that kind of weird. But, you know, guy who's going to be a free agent, mm -hmm. you might be able to get him for a second-round pick or maybe one of their prospects if they feel like they have too many at one position. Do you bring a guy like that in? And like I said, maybe even now, like earlier than the deadline, to try to make this push. Maybe we can get into that playoff hunt a little bit because our draft pick's going to be, you know, if we don't make the playoffs, and obviously your draft pick's around 16, 14, 15, 16, and maybe they feel like they want one more of those picks. I don't know, but I would like to see them start to go now but and, and at least try a little bit to add a piece here or there. But I think for the most part, they're going to go with, you know, obviously Darlene, Power, Samuelson. They like their top four D. Again, maybe you could add one more guy in there, a Chikrin, what might be a neat neat fit there because he contractually he's comes, you know, he's very manageable. About those yeah. two years left, I was he had that scare. I think it was against Minnesota or Ottawa the other night, maybe against San Jose where they had blocked that shot awkwardly. Yeah, and he's always he's always hurt, so I get yeah. why you might want to be careful there. Well, but mean, that's hey, also, he also twenty five minutes on the ice last night. I mean, it can't hurt that bad, or maybe you know he's just talking right. big come. So I'm um, happy to see that that wasn't yeah. serious. Um, outside of Buffalo, do you see anybody making a big push for Chikrin? Because I know that's going to be. You know, one of the big names on the back end here at the deadline. It's such a 
cost controlled price. I right. mean, that's the key here. You've seen a lot of these deadline deals having a third team take on money. And I don't think that would be the case with Chikrin, which makes it all the more interesting. Exactly. And uh, whether, like maybe Boston will step up. Maybe they feel like, you know, I'm not sure if some of these other defensemen in the past haven't translated to the playoffs really well, like a, you know, Grizzlick and a, and, um, you know, that some of their younger guys. So, uh, and so they might make a move for that, like to really strengthen their top four, you know, Lindholm and McAvoy and put a chicken in their top four. Like you say, he's a manageable number. He's under contract for a couple of years. Um, so I, he, he could fit in a number of places, you know, defense, but they're defense, but are traded at the deadline every year, even seven, eight guys, depth guys. So I'd be shocked if I think at long last, it's finally going to happen. You know, he's been wanting a trade. They've been trying to trade him for, you know, over a year now. I think it's finally going to happen now if he can string yeah. some starts together. And like I said, any team could sign him. Every team could fit him in the cap. Every team could use another defenseman. So he's really limitless where he could end up. And he's not um, just a rental either. Yeah. Right. I have one question, Dwayne, I'll turn it over to you. The Western Conference, bigger surprise, Seattle being second in the Pacific and two points out of first place. Or Winnipeg turning it around the way they yeah. have and leading the Central. Bigger that's story. A good qu- yeah, that's a that's a good question. Probably Seattle. You know, we, we knew Winnipeg had these guys, Connor and Shifley, and they have really you know five, six really good defensemen, high paid. They're all like five million bucks a year. So, um, you know, for Morrissey and Schmidt, all those guys right down the line, Pionk, they all get paid very well. So you knew that they had a pretty good core. Hellebuck's obviously a good goaltender. So. You just weren't sure what was going on there. Once Maurice left, it sounded like the room was messed up. Blake Wheeler loses the C. So you, you never know for sure what the room situation is. But you knew they had vets and they had some talent. So, But for Seattle, and it's weird, last time, you know, last year people thought Seattle had a chance to make the playoffs. You know, They saw Vegas after the expansion draft go right to the finals. The expansion drafts are much more, you know, a great chance for teams to get good right away, which you know, makes sense if someone pays all that money and you're trying to grow a game in a market. Why, why have a team stink like, like it always did in Atlanta? You know, it's why hockey hasn't worked there because they were never any good. You know, the, the, right. the expansion rules were terrible. You had no chance to be good for like years and years. That's no way to grow a business. Which So the NHL learned from that. And so, you know, it just took Seattle the extra year, a couple tweaks. Veneers has been off the charts, rookie of the year for yeah. sure. And they're doing it without really great goaltending, not really good talent or numbers. It's really amazing so far yeah. what they do. You know, if they get cold offensively and, and maybe a couple injuries, and if their goaltending comes back to the way it's been, they could easily lose like eight out of nine, eight out of ten, and, and suddenly sink. So um, you still got to, I still got to give them another month or so. To, but for now, they look fast. They're a veteran team too. They're an older team. They're not like a young expansion team. These guys are all thirty years old. You know, very you few. Martin Abrilles, you got plenty of, you got plenty of, um, you know. Uh, experienced veteran leadership. Yeah, exactly. And, and Beneers has been so fun for me to watch. Uh, kind of a quick pivot because I know we skimmed it over earlier and Dwayne, you want to talk about it. You want to lead into world juniors and your thoughts on that? Well, be- before we do, if you don't mind real quick, just uh, going off Winnipeg, like they were ready to burn the whole thing down. Like you yeah. said in the off season, I think that's a huge surprise. I'm not saying I disagree with Bucci, but like considering where they were in the off season, you, you, you go back to the, you know, Stripping of the sea, just you know, a lot of the kind of the the core players that were in place for a couple of years kind of be felt like they were just on their way out the door to see them kind of come around. And I'm a big Connor Hallibuck guy. I love seeing him succeed. So it's nice great. to see that team really turn it around. Um, 
but also a couple other names too. You know, you know, we talked about the trade deadline. Uh, another name that's been kind of in and around, you know, because obviously Chicago is not in a position to win. Max Domi's name has been thrown around a lot, quite a bit too. He's on a one-year deal for three million. Uh, Joel Edmondson out of Montreal, whose numbers don't look great, but I think it's indicative of you know the position you know that Montreal has been in the past couple of years. Yeah, Just any of those kind of strike out. I'm I'm. I'm a big advocate of building more on the blue line, finding that real partner for, for Owen Power to play with. I think they wanted it to be Labushkin, but I think he's been in and out of that situation a couple times this season. You don't, don't think, think it's, really it's, it's Yoki Haru? I, I'm not a fan of Yoki Haru personally. Um, no. I think, but regardless, and then I, I think it's, as you stated earlier, Fucci, you really got to build yourself down the middle to be successful. You look at the blueprints of a lot of teams, in the NHL, Chicago, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, Colorado. They're really deep down the middle where I think Buffalo, while they have those draft picks in the pipeline, they've had five five first-round draft picks in the last two seasons. They've used them all, and I agree with you. The time to time to win might be now. You know, you know, who who would you see as like a good filler down the middle for Buffalo? Would it be could Max Domi come in here? You know, given his reputation and be, be, make a good fit in this locker room, or do you think it might be somebody else? Yeah, I, I don't think that's quite the fit. Um, he's kind yeah. of a disher. This part, you know, this, he's. I think they have a lot of wings like him. Um, certainly, he's a depth guy, and they could uh, put him down there on, on the third or fourth line. But yeah, I, I like you said. I think you know Thompson obviously has proved himself to be a number one center, and Cousins I think has proved himself to be a number two. I wasn't sure if he would be a number two guy. I thought he might be a good three guy on a good team, you know. Yeah. But I think he's clearly a number two center now in this league. It's the way he's producing, his hands are much better, his shot is much better, he's shooting the puck more, which I like to see guys do. So yeah, now it's trying to identify. I think those you know those character centers, you know, around the yeah. league, uh, you know. I mean, Derek Stepan's kind of past his prime, and he's on, he's now a fourth line winger for Carolina. But someone like that, someone like that kind of that mold of a thirty year old guy who's a character guy, he can play in the middle, and uh, you know, just trying to find that guy. And, and like I said, I think any deal they make, they want it to be like a long term thing. Like yeah, going forward. It, just, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of, like a lot of centers available right now. Right, guys that would fit this mold. Maybe you bring in a guy like said Max Domi. Not that I'm advocating for Max Domi to so right. maybe play on, play out play out on the side of what you do have and see if that improves that bottom six. But I agree with you. Like I'm more I'm more in tune. It's just a, just a rumor that's been floating around about him. Um, I'm just more in in, in in line with finding a long term solution rather than a rental. Right, I, I agree, and, uh, I and that's something that's been plenty of time to do. Right? No, has he been? Has he been? Has he been average replacement? I think. Him and Krebs down that bottom six lifts a lot to be desired, like you guys talked about. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'd love to be a fly on that wall with when you got to sit down with Kevin and Donnie John just to to see what what that conversation was like. And yeah, well, I I, I have a couple Sabres games coming up. I have a game in Buffalo against Toronto uh, in Feb, and then I got a Bruins game in Boston uh, Sabres. So uh, I I'll so that's that's getting closer to the deadline. So I'll definitely uh, ask him again. Um, you know what, and we'll make that part of the broadcast. You know how, what, what's the Sabers' next step, whether it's this deadline or going forward. And what do they see as the long-term construction of this roster as things start to become, you know, definite? How they have the Thompson, they have Tuck. You know, Skinner obviously has worked out well. He's overpaid, but that's okay. They're Court, getting enough. Out. Brandon Tanev. Yeah, they have cousins, cousins in the middle now. Okay, now we have our second-line guy. So they're starting to get building blocks that are secure. Now, what do they identify as a third line? What they want their third line to be? Who's out there? Who in the organization can fill that? Who, 
So it's going to be fun now to see how they do that, you know, to, going forward, how they identify. Uh, and, and again, of course, the goaltender is the most important piece going forward. Who's the guy who's going to be in net for the next five to seven years? That's the guy they need to get and identify and, um, and, and go from there. I hope like hell they wear the goat head against Toronto too. Oh my God. That'll, that'll bring yeah, back. That, that would be a good one to do it. Oh my God. Yeah. I love that jersey. I don't know about you. It's my favorite sweater, at least for, in, in terms of Sabres sweaters. It's always been. The players um, love it. The players obviously love wearing them. I know oh, Colleen yeah. says he, he loves wearing them. Yeah, he says he feels evil while he's wearing yes. it. Yes, <laughs> Dr. I evil. Yeah. But, going, but going back to your transition, Colleen, to the World Juniors, I uh, definitely wanted to touch on that. Yeah, I just John, your your thoughts on the tournament in general? I obviously it, it's special to watch a player like Connor Bedard with with the uh, with last year's World Juniors getting moved up. I mean, I felt like it was a double dandy. You know, we got Connor Bedard. I, I got to watch him play ten games and within four months of each other, and it was a treat for all hockey fans. Um, you know, obviously, I hate to see Canada win. I want to see U.S. You know, win every year. Um, but it just, it didn't happen that way. I, if a fun first period, you know, the international rules, um, I don't really want to relive that game. It was a painful <laughs> game for me and a lot of my ex teammates had some, some bets, go, some friendly bets going with them, um, being the only American up there, but, uh, tough to see that team go down, but you know, a special talent like Connor Bedard comes along and sets tournament records for a reason. Um, just your thoughts on the tournament in general, anybody, I, you know, I think the Sabres, Yuri Kulik had a great tournament. Yeah, he did. Um, I think our future looks bright there. He was a big, big uh, helper uh, in Czechia. And then who was our, our pick Dwayne on team Sweden that did really well? Uh, who was yeah, it? Rosen, uh, Roseanne. Oh, yeah. Isaac uh, Rosen. Yes. Yes. I think both of those guys had great tournaments as far as the Sabres are, are concerned, but any, any players, um, you know, that jumped off the page at you, Butchie, that, that that could be hearing their names called down the line or, or maybe some guys that got picked already that are farther along in their development than we think. Yeah, certainly Bedard was a star. You know, he's going to be the first pick of the draft. He'll be in the NHL next year. And uh, it's always exciting when you get a guy like that coming into the league. It really does provide a jolt for the league and uh, a jolt for whatever team gets him. So that was really, you know, that was at the top of the list for sure. And just really, you know, Canada really, you know, they had multiple guys who played in the NHL this year and were, you know, USA was just a bunch of college kids, really, you know. And, and so I actually got a text from Rand Pecknold saying that, you know, our, little, our college team's doing pretty good here. And I was hoping Rand could get a gold medal. That would have pretty cool for him and and like you said they came close um but just you know dylan gunther is you know, he's a man he, he's a, he's an nhler you know he, he's obviously and um you know and shane wright same thing you know he played in the league this year different circumstance he probably would have been in the league the whole year and so you know these guys made a huge impact and uh, they wouldn't have won without their nhl players i think you know in, in the end uh, but still a, but still a strong team but yeah i, I love the world juniors going back Love, love watching it. Like seeing the prospects, and and in this, like you know, college hockey has served me well. Now covering the NHL again because I know all these guys. I know where they're coming from. I've seen them play, and and I plus I have relationships with them too. So when I go to the rink, these college kids, they all know who I am. They come right up to me, which is really cool. And because I've been covering their sport for the last really 
the last 16 years now, I started 2006, really doing the regionals and then on to the frozen four in 2013, but in writing about it and tweeting about it. So uh, it, it's been a, it's been a great way for me. Now that we're back in the NHL covering the college all those years, I just did it because I enjoyed it, but it really has proved to be um, advantageous for, for me as well. Getting to know the players, getting access to them, them being comfortable with me. So uh, it's been good. And the world juniors right along that line. And uh, I grant to Matthew Barzal at the uh, players tour this year, they all flew to Vegas, a bunch of players and you interview them and get, gives us a chance to get a lot of content that we use throughout the year. Sit down with like 20 different guys, you know, one after one, one after the other. And Barzell came up to me. He's like, I used to play the Bucci overtime challenge when I was a kid. It's like, that's, <laughs> you know, you, you think about it. Yeah. He would have been like 14 years old when I started yeah. that thing. So it's, it, I guess a, a kid in British Columbia, you know, playing the Bucci overtime challenge. So he's again, stuff like that, hearing stories like that. And it goes back to the young guys because they, they constantly replenish the league. When I think back to the World Juniors, one of the staples forever was that New Year's Eve U.S.-Canada game. Right. You know why they did away with that? And and I, I hate it. I loved looking up to that game. I get how the reseeding works. I get how that yeah. was a problem with other countries and other right. federations. But I just felt like that was such a cool staple. Going back to the outdoor game, I think You're me and Wayne both were at. Um, I don't know if yeah. you were Butchie, but it was – Awesome Casey Middlestad scores at the end. It was at Ralph Wilson Jr. Stadium. Um, just your thoughts on no longer having that USA-Canada guaranteed New Year's Eve game. No, I agree. It was, it was great for the sport. I mean, I know, you know, they try to be fair, obviously, to all the countries of the world. But let's face it, you know, anytime it's in Canada, that makes a ton, ton of money because they sell out every game. Um, and, you know, the USA and the, the eyeballs they get from USA and Canada, it does – make the tournament and i know they can't you know imbalance them too much russia and sweden and they all deserve you know to have an equal playing field it is a world championship uh but sometimes it is still entertainment it's still a sport you're trying to grow we don't have a lot of best on best at the nhl professional level it's been probably the biggest misstep the nhl has really done uh is not provide more of these best on best so we can see these people as teammates that's I mean, I already was a big hockey fan, but what 1980 did in the Miracle on Ice, that was a USA-Russia moment. It produced so many hockey fans in America. And then, you know, to go all those years and now these last few years, now no Olympics, no best on best, no World Cup. Just see what the World Cup of soccer. I, mean, I, I, I never watched soccer, but I watched that World Cup soccer final. And I'm, I'm being introduced to these superstars. I didn't know they existed. Well, and, go back um, to what was it, 96? The World Cup created amazing. a whole other wave of another fans. one, right? I'm one of them being a 91 birth year. I can remember right. the, the the young Chris Chalos. I think Leach was on that team. Um, the Keith Kachuks, you know, the Waltz, like all those guys. Like, uh, and and it's a shame, Butchie, that I'm saying 1996 is right. the last time. And I know they did a World Cup reiteration what was yeah that was good and, and, but some of these olympics are in the middle of the night so they have you know they've been in russia and Solker, which is fine but still to have like a opportunity to have a best on best in prime time the league should have been they should have been this world cup like you said they should have built off 96 and say we're going to do it ourselves we don't need the yeah. olympics it's going to be in north well, america it's going to be prime time problem, right that solves yeah. the money problem because the coffers are full because we're fucking running it you know uh, never, never made sense to me why they did away with that. You made an excellent point. You can do that. I didn't mean to cut you off there. You can do that outdoor game every single year uh, on New Year's Eve, and it would never right. be old for me, ever. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love, I love the experience of seeing that in Buffalo, and 
then that's the very next day you had the uh, outdoor game in, uh, at City Field, uh, Sabres and Rangers, just back to back. It was real cool. Uh, I would never get I would I would never get tired of that game being outdoor on New Year's Eve ever. Yeah, just the, just the, the revenue it produces and the attention it gets. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of the attention it gets, Dwayne, I had one last question for him. Uh, you've done a great job at at keeping us up to date at Sports Center and 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 on Ovi's Chase. He's at eight ten. Um, you know, does he does he reach the magical number of eight ninety two or eight ninety four? Eight ninety four. So you've got eighty four to go. But you, what what are your thoughts here? How, how soon does he get it, or does he get it? Well, he's definitely going to do it. You know, I've said now for about three to four years, it's more likely that he won't score, that he'll score a thousand, than he won't break the record. Like to me, that's you know, it, 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 will he keep going? Because right now it looks. I thought at first it was going to be you know early twenty five, um, you know maybe early twenty six, you know part of the twenty five twenty six season, but you know you figure what he's doing now, it might be. Early 24, 25, you know, it, it, yeah. if, if he gets 50 this year and then he gets another, you know, 42 next year, then he's going to be one season away. You know, I thought yeah. he might need that final fourth season, but he might do it in the I, third season. Yeah, I think he's People, I think from the way he started 30 goals in 45 already. Like, I mean, Chris Shelley yeah. was played too. He was like 48. You know, yeah. Yager, if, if he plays till he's 45, he'll get a thousand goals. Oh, uh, by the way, did you guys all see Yager's uh, assist? Or yeah. no, it was his goal. His goal. His goal great. to tip in. Just yeah. to see his stride. I miss him in the NHL. His well, last they were, short, they, were, they were on a short bench, so they had to step in and play. But yeah, uh, owner of the team. Hey, uh, yeah. Mr. Yager, we need you to lace up the skate. <laughs> I'd love to see that the trainer that had to tell him. I, uh, uh I, 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 people don't even like to. I, I, this isn't brought up enough, in my opinion, when it comes to Ovechkin. Is we would be talking about him breaking this record this year if it wasn't for two lockout seasons and a COVID shortened season, in my opinion. He'd probably be breaking yep. that record this year. And I think that that in itself doesn't get talked about enough. And, you know, I agree with Pucci, man. If he plays till he's 45, he's going to score a thousand goals. And yep. the, the big key to this, he's always stayed healthy, knock on wood. Yep. He's never never dealt with any serious injuries. He takes immaculate care of his body. And I, I honestly, like, I personally think he's the greatest goal scorer of all time. Uh, that's just my opinion. Mike you know, Bossy might have something to say to you about that. Who? No, I'm just kidding. Mike Bossy has a, a hell of a goal scorer, but I, yeah, I don't think yeah. I can make that argument. And the way power plays are now, power plays are so successful in the league right now. Everyone's at like mid 20%. You know, most of the league does four forwards now. You know, 15 years ago, only like, you know, 18% of the league used four forwards on the power play. Now they realize it's like 80%. And so the numbers are up. So Ovi, just how his power play numbers alone will help him get to the record because power plays are so much more successful with the bumper position. You can't cover everybody. So no. I really want to ask you about that, Butchie. I, I I study. I'm a goalie coach for a living, and we've been identifying that one-three-one bumper. And Washington does it really well with Backstrom yep. on on the weak side, with Oshie popping out. But that that creates that seam for Carlson and to to get into Ovechkin, right? Right. How important has the evolution of the standard overload into an umbrella now into that one-three-one where that the, the best players in the league that, that create that bumper position that draw guys to them help out their their Ovechkins or their Tage Thompsons, right? How has the evolution of the power play helped goal scorers in that way? 
Yeah, like I said, going to four forwards, they realize the more talent, the better. And some teams, I think, should probably go five if they don't have that really strong threat on the blue line. Obviously, someone like Darlene is such an amazing – he breaks people down. doesn't have a huge booming shot, like a Carlson maybe, but it's good enough. But he does it a different way. The heart needs to get through, right? Right, but it, but it's good to have a cannon when you like. That's why if you cheat too much in Ovi, you get Carlson walking into a slap shot from oh, you yeah. know 60, 40, 50 feet. That's a huge threat. So that's why yeah, to have Oshi in the middle, Carlson the bomb threat on top. That just helps Ovi so much because you and the, you know the Bruins have it with Bergeron. That right-handed shot bumper, I think, is the that that's yeah. the key because the right-handed shot one timer is behind you. You want to face the guy on the wall to get the, you know, and with the one timer behind you. So it's being a right-handed shot is such a key. Now, obviously you could do it on the other side. If you have a, that's where Tampa Bay with Kucherov on one and Stamkos on the other is just, it, that's, that's, that's the best watch. setup in the league. I can't uh, wait to see in the playoffs how teams are going to try to shut that down. And Braden Point is back. Like Braden Point is back as a star. Yeah. Oh Braden, yeah, Braden have, Point is an absolute on. star again. I love I love watching Braden Point. He's such a phenomenal 200 foot you know 200 foot player with such an, an elite goal scoring ability. Uh, I know Minnesota just extended Matt Boldy seven years seven million per for 49 million. Uh, just came down the pipe in the last. Yeah, they, I heard they're working on that. Smart player, good player, mm-hmm. makes other people better. And uh, he's like a playmaking wing. I like playmaking wings, and that, that's a good number for them. You know, he's yeah, just a I good agree. solid guy. Good he's a college good hockey guy, right? No. Yeah. What's that? Was he a college hockey guy? Boston College, yeah. Played uh, played at Boston College. He he wasn't wasn't really loud. Like it was interesting watching him. It's like okay, he was all right. But went right to the league and started producing, playing with good players. You know, obviously with uh, Kaprizov and Zuccarello. Like right away, he fit in with the Wild. I was surprised. I didn't think he would just step right in because in college he didn't really dominate. He didn't like you know. He, but he's he's a guy who like I think needs other players. He makes other people better. And besides being a good player, and sometimes those players won't make a loud noise in college because uh, they're not one-on-one guys, but they make better players better. We'll, we'll wrap right, it up here with you. Hey, I, got, I got a quick game. Can I play it with them? 30 seconds max. Okay. Yep. Pick one out of these three teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. Carolina, New Jersey, New York, Rangers. Wow. I think they're all going to make it. Um, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go – because of their inconsistency, it'd be the it'd be the Rangers. I know most people I think agree. the Devils are going to fade, but I don't think they're going to fade. And I think they're probably going to add a guy. And Jack Hughes is an absolute superstar. Brett, uh, you know, Jesper Brett is an absolute underrated star. People have no idea how good that guy is. And mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, I, I would see. I still think all three will make it, but the Rangers would be the team to me that you know losing the Canadians last night. This, that's not a great loss, you know. All right, and then uh, my last question. You, you being, said last question three times. No, no, no. <laughs> he said last question three Western times. Conference question. Out of what? the Western Conference, the 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 four the five teams that are sitting in the wild card: Calgary, Edmonton, Colorado, St. Louis, Nashville. Out of those five, pick two to make the playoffs: Calgary, Edmonton, Colorado, St. Louis, and Nashville. And that's the order they sit in the standings as of today. To make or miss? To to make. Those are the five wild card or two out of the. So I guess right. Calgary and Edmonton would be in right now. Colorado, St. Louis, and Nashville would be out as of yeah. today. Yeah, I, I don't. Nashville's been too up and down for me. I'd probably go. Although Saros is back playing some good goaltending, yes, so that's a tough one. I, I, I didn't have St. Louis making the playoffs before the season. Um, Colorado, I think, will figure it out, and then it really comes down, like you said, to Edmonton or Calgary. I'm not going to go against Connor McDavid, so I'm, I think they're starting to go a little bit. 
soft schedule, but they have started to string some wins together. And like I said, I'm looking forward to doing their game this Thursday against Tampa Bay. So I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Edmonton. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, before I got it, before we let you go, just a couple last, last talking points. Uh, it was released or at least leaked out. Uh, you know, the all-star games, you know, not as popular as it used to be, at least back when I was a kid, I, you know, I used to get pumped to watch it. Maybe that's just because I was a kid, but uh, obviously now it's kind of like a struggle for both the NHL and the NFL with the pro bowl, uh, you know, to get, you know, the proper engagement for it. Um, the, the jerseys were recently leaked what we believe they will be just, I'll, I'll bring it up here real quick. Um, what your thoughts on it? I'm sure you've seen it, but uh, what your thoughts are on the jerseys that have been leaked and, uh, kind of like the Miami vice feel that uh, they kind of bring with them. Cause I, I, I personally, I personally think they look great. Yeah. Yeah. The, the old school font. Oh! I, think it's, I mean, you know, the, like my son, you know, my son is senior in college and, and they they're, they're wearing these kind of nineties, like team, like penguin jerseys. And like, they're into that. Like that, the, the young kids are identifying with kind of this older school course. Now old school is now nineties. Um, or, but that old font and that, like you said, the colors there, the teal and the pink, which is still, that was in the early nineties. Like I said, I was a young guy back then and those colors were huge. And yeah, I, I think it's a great look. I think it'll, I think it'll sell with the kids. I agree. I, I used to love, uh, one of my favorite all-star moments was when Hashik made like 25 saves in a period. And the only yeah. goal he gave up was the one, oh, and no one called a shot down the wing. Uh, <laughs> But those jerseys were phenomenal—the purple and the teal. I loved them. Um, wait, yeah. wait, was that the, was that the game where who was it that pointed and scored? Oh, and Nolan. Owen Nolan. Yeah, he caught. It, he scored a hat trick that game. One of them against Dom. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, he, he Dom broke down the wing. He smiled, pointed, and he picked yep. his spot and he scored on him. That was great stuff. Yeah, oh, the, yeah. I, I like those jerseys. Phenomenal, phenomenal sweaters. Um, and just obviously another last point is that the season Connor McDavid's having. Uh, you've, you've touched on that, uh, a couple times on Twitter. And, um, what my last point is, and I, and I asked this on Twitter like a week ago and it got a lot of good engagement thought. I, I, I thought I'd like to start asking our, our guests, if you could have dinner, a, a chicken parm dinner with mm-hmm. five people, yeah. five people alive or past, who would it be? It has to be one athlete, one actor, one family member, one musician, and one fictional character. Wow. I like that. I, I oh. it's gotten a lot of good engagement. I bet. I bet. Certainly, uh, the athlete. I would probably go with someone like, you know, John Daly. Would probably be yeah. like Derek Sanderson. Like to have Derek Sanderson tell stories. The former Bruin. You know, he played the seventies. So yeah, we'll go Derek Sanderson for my for my athlete. Um, actor. I'd probably go again. Someone like. Um, they have to be alive. Uh, no, you, 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 it, they can be alive, alive or past. Oh, I got you. Yeah, so I go. Derek Sanderson, Burt Reynolds must have um, must oh have had God, amazing yeah. stories. You know, uh, oh, Keith Bert. Richards, my musician. I mean, again, Keith Richards must must be a gas to hang around with. Uh, yeah, fictional character is a great one. That's a great I question. Know. I'm trying to think someone like. Uh, I don't know why some Dr. Seuss character came to mind right away. I don't know why. I have no idea why Dr. Seuss character came to mind. Um, maybe someone like, 
But who would be a good fictional character? I'm going Willie question. Beeman from any given Sunday. I Maybe think. Austin Maybe Powers. That'd be, that'd be a lot of like Austin Powers. Is that was that count as a fictional character? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I watched Austin 100%. Powers on last night. That's yeah, but, hey, you get the Austin Power. He played almost like three different characters in those movies. So you get exactly. Dr. Evil. Does he go to the bathroom and come back as Doctor right. Evil? And then gold and, uh, member after that, and then and that family member. I mean, it's that, and then of course family member. Like yeah, I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably. It'd probably be my boy. I'd probably be Jack. Like I'd want my son to experience and hear these stories. You know, you want your, I'm afraid a lot of the young people nowadays aren't experiencing some of the fun stuff that we did when we were kids. And it just seems like a different world. They seem to be lost in their phones and not, not having a, a good time. And I want them to have a good time and hear these amazing stories and great memories that we had. That's awesome. I, I, again, I appreciate the insight. My, my fictional character was Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne, Batman. I think. Nice. I like probably, it. You let, you let, you let him pick up the tab and then yep. obviously you let him pick the, pick the place. That, sure that's an great. excellent one. That's Keanu an excellent Reeves one. was my, uh, you know, cause he just seems like a really good dude. Just a really, Wayne, I can't believe you didn't know he was a goalie. I like that. Was, I didn't know. Was, I had no clue. He was a goalie. Him and Paris Hilton have elite prospect pages. Yeah, I, I do that, but that's a shame to elite <laughs> prospects. But it, it's been well known that Keanu Reeves, I think he, he was, was a goalie, goalie under, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I knew that, but I didn't know he was actually a goalie. No, he played high school hockey in Michigan, I'm pretty sure. That's wild. And then uh, Bruce Springsteen was my musician. I just a good one. A phenomenal storyteller. Yeah. Uh, and that raspy voice of his, man. That'd be good. Sounds like, he, you know, you could probably stay at 4 o'clock in the morning at a dinner table with him, and he just goes. Yeah, smiles a lot, laughs easily. Yeah, my mom, uh, you know, she passed when I was 21. It'd be nice to have one last dinner with her. Yep. And uh, Dominic Kashuk, it, it, it was a tight one, but the dominator, you know, the whole reason yep. I started playing hockey, started playing the position. Be cool That's awesome. To, to get a dinner, to get a, you know, a dinner with those five, those five individuals. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a cool question. I think it was. especially it was you said great. the fictional character uh, at the end really threw some people uh, through a loop, but uh um, and then your thoughts on Connor McDavid and the historic season he's having something we haven't seen here in a while. Yeah, really just, again, you know, I had my first vote last year for all the major awards, you know, Hart and Norris. Really cool. I, ne I never had one before. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I know a lot of people voted for, you know, Austin Matthews and, and some people voted for Shesterkin and, uh, but I, I'm like, I'm not going to be that person 20 years from now we look back and, and you see these stupid numbers that Connor McDavid's putting up, and you didn't vote him for MVP. It's like I'm sorry, I'm, uh, he's got my vote. This is this guy's a freak. There's no one like him. We've never seen anything like him in the history of the league. He's the fastest skater with the puck, I think, in the history of hockey. And uh, so, as long as he's in his prime, he'll get my MVP vote. Fastest I've probably seen since Paul Volbury. And Burry was yeah. Burry was an absolute animal. He did exactly, huh? Yeah, exactly. He was he was he was more straight line to the net where McDavid yeah. is looking to also create, like to put that mm -hmm. speed, that stick handling, and that hockey sense. You know, those are the three things. Like his uber hockey sense. We used to hear that word a lot when we were kids. Hockey sense. You don't hear it as much anymore for some reason. But mm -hmm. the hockey sense he has. Matthew Kachuk is a guy who can't skate but has amazing hockey sense. It's amazing how you know two two people do it differently. But if you have hockey sense, whether you're a goalie. Like I said, Devin Levi has hockey sense as a goalie, and uh, not you know that's what really separates him in my mind. But to, to to see hockey sense and to feel it and to watch these guys make plays, it's that's to me it's the best part of the sport. I uh, yeah, and you know the um, the reason I ask about you know you know Connor too is the MVP chance have started at, down at uh, Key Bank Center, uh, uh, yeah, Key Bank Center. 
uh, yeah. every time Tage scores a goal. I mean, it, the, the definition of the, the trophy is most valuable player of their team. Granted, I still think Connor McDavid gets it. But if, if this team gets to the playoffs and, and, and Tage Thompson has over 50 goals and like 110, 115 points, which he's on pace for, can you see him being in that conversation? Or is it just oh, is, yeah. is it Connor's trophy to lose? Yeah, I mean, Connor's going to get every first place. But if he gets 180 points, yeah, he's, he's going to get every yeah, first place. Yeah, I, I agree. It's his. But then, but to be in the final three is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, and, and certainly Tage Tage is in that conversation, uh, absolutely for sure. There's yeah. no doubt he, he'll be. You know, obviously he's in the Richard Hunt, and if he, you know, him right there with McDavid. So I think he's a great chance. He's certainly a top ten guy, probably almost a lock top five MVP. Um, but I, he's got a great chance at top three. Uh, I got one last question. Uh, if you had a chance to see Quentin Musty from the Sudbury Wolves, he's a local guy. He's I'm ranked eleventh, eleventh uh, overall for North American skaters for this year's draft. Nice, I'm not. Went Haven't first overall him. to the Sudbury Wolves a couple years ago. First kid from Hamburg taken. Um, his dad just texted me and he just said, "Hey, make sure you thank Butchie. He's been so important for not just college hockey in America." But hockey in America, our local <laughs> Buffalo audience appreciates mm-hmm. the SHIT out of them. Just some fan love <laughs> anyway. Mike's a good friend of mine. He's That's got very nice. two up-and-coming players. So um, the, the Buffalo community here really, really appreciates your time, John. Appreciate I appreciate Buffalo. Time. Love coming back and doing a game. Like I said, I'll see you guys in February for the Maple Leaf game. Can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. That's going to be a good one, man. That's a that's – a, we, we all said that game against Boston where we, we, we pulled out that win in overtime yes. was a big benchmark game for Buffalo. I think Toronto even more so because I think yeah. – I, I used to say it with Jack and Austin when Jack was here about, you know, the rivalry being reignited. I think even more so now with the projection of this team and where they're heading. I agree. And the teams they've been able to beat, you know, that game is a big a big benchmark game for them. No, I mean, being, being the division with the Bruins and the Lightning and Toronto, that's that, those are yeah. Goliaths. And so what, the closer you get to them and you push towards them, you know, the Bruins are suddenly going to be too, going to be an older team. And then suddenly it's going to be Buffalo's turn. And then, you know, same Tampa Bay, you know, their window is still pretty good. Um, probably another three to five years, actually. They're, they're set up with their young goalie and, and uh, guys, you know, Point and Kucherov still got a really good core. But Buffalo, it's, you know, they're looking at Toronto like, okay, is Austin Matthews going to resign? And what's going to happen there? So, yeah, those are three big dogs to, to, to strive towards it'll it'll help you towards the, for the rest of the league did you catch any football yesterday yeah i did i bought it was three good games i watched most of it and it was all good buddy we almost lost a, a guy named skyler <laughs> we almost lost to a guy named skyler almost yeah i thought i was watching breaking bad the most dangerous skyler since breaking bad they better come prepare next week against Cincinnati. That's all I'm going to say. Because yeah, yeah Joe Burrow is a little better than Skyler. Yeah. Just a little bit. Well, hey, we really appreciate your time, Butchie, as always. A you fixture bet. in the sport, and we are so grateful for your time. Um, Dwayne, I'll let you take us out. An excellent episode 113. Yep. Uh, thanks for everybody for tuning in. And, again, thanks to Butchie. Thanks again, Butchie. I appreciate it, man. Uh can't wait to have you on again sometime down the line. Uh, maybe right around February if you're free. We'll preview that Buffalo-Toronto game, uh, you know, for 20, 20 minutes or something like that. But, again, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate that we could get this done. You bet. Love Buffalo. See you guys down the road. All right.
This has been episode 113 of Two Goalies, One Mike, brought to you by Outlet Liquor, the place to buy a case over on George Room Boulevard. Uh, I am Dwayne for Cully and the Bucci Man, John Buchacross. Uh, this has been episode 113 of Two Goalies, One Mike. You guys have a phenomenal Martin Luther King Day and a phenomenal week. Go Sabres. Go Sabres. Hey, everybody, this is Dwayne from Two Goalies on Mike, a show where we give you a behind-the-mask coverage of the greatest sport on earth, whether it be happening right here in Buffalo or around the hockey world. Now you might be thinking, hey, Dwayne, why would I want to hear what you two idiots have to say about hockey? Well, first of all, rude. Second of all, we bring in coaches, players, analysts from your favorite programs from ESPN to Sportsnet to TSN. We're always on it. If you're a Sabres fan or just a hockey fan, you can download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can check us out at trainwrecksports.com or the Dean Blundell Podcasting Network. Thank you for your support, guys, and I'll hang up and listen. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd.